we're in a series called Spiritual Boot Camp, and the idea is that for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, sometimes we kind of get into a rut. We get maybe into a um, uh, kind of doing the same thing. Maybe the Word of God isn't uh, providing the intimacy that we had before or whatever, or our prayer life has kind of become stagnant. And so what we've been trying to do in this, uh, in this series is maybe take a step back of our, of, with our Christian faith and maybe, maybe we can step it up a little bit. Maybe we could spend more time in the Word. Maybe we could actually fast a day. And so we've been doing uh, that one, one day a week through this series. And, and you're on again for this week. Congratulations. Uh, and we've been talking about spending a half an hour in the, uh, a day in the Word and memorizing Scripture. And this morning, we're going to talk about money. And for those of you, if there's any of you who maybe you waited 20 years to come back to church... Like you said, all they talk about is money. And for 20 years, that's exactly what you thought of the church. And this morning you said, you know what? I'm going to give it another shot. I apologize. And next week, we're not going to talk about money. Matter of fact, next week, I won't even bring my wallet. Okay? I mean, we won't even have anything to do with money. But this morning we're talking about money. And um, there's a guy who's going to kick it off for us. How you doing? You know, I'm going to open a can of worms with this one, I think, all right? This one here is the big enchilada, amigos, all right? So you have to forgive me in advance if this stings a little. You're going to have to to cut me a little slack if this convicts or challenges you because I'd never want to do that. No, what I'm about to talk about is things people don't like to talk about. It goes up there with religion and politics. It's one of those things you don't talk about if all you want to do is make friends. No, this one here, this is a little different because the love of this thing, the love of it, you know what I'm saying, is the root of all kinds of evil. But on the other hand, without it, you can't do much good, right? You cracked the code yet? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, money, M-O-N-E-Y. Yeah, the almighty dollar, the cash, the cabbage, the greenbacks, the gravy, the loot, the moolah, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? I got my own personal favorite, the dead president. The higher number on the dollar bill, the goofier the president, the more hands want to touch it. Go figure. You know what? We ask a lot of questions about these presidential papers, don't we? Yeah. How are we going to spend it? How am I going to use it? My own personal favorite? Huh? Huh? How am I going to act like I don't have any so my relatives don't bother me anymore? Or how am I going to miss the offering plate every time it passes by? And of course, the dominant Republican question, how am I going to invest and how do I keep it from the IRS? Yeah. Money. The big, big question. But there's one question we always leave out. At least I do. Who's is it? I mean, whose money is it really? That is the million-dollar question, pardon the pun, right? I know some might say, hey, it's my money because I work hard with these hands. Yeah? Who gave you the hands, buddy? All right, you're smarter than some who gave you the brains. You're driven who gave you the ambition. All right, I know you can arrange a lot of things on your own, but you can't tell me you arranged your birthplace, who your parents were, who your friends are going to be, what schools you went to, the technology that was going to be there, the people that came before you to pave the way, the people are here now. To lighten the load? Huh, you didn't arrange that, did you? Should I go on? No, 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 I don't think so. You know, I suppose all I'm trying to say is this, people, all right? I got a big wake-up call last year. I got my kid an Xbox 360. I threw it on the floor. Boom, that's yours. I got every possible, imaginable accessory that there is. Everyone you can think of, the cordless, wireless, bang-bang, the flip-flop, the yip-yap, everything you could possibly think of. Even threw in HD plasma so everybody could see it beautifully. A couple of dozen games. I said, hey, we're off to a good start. One day I come home and I said, hey, son, you mind if I play the game? You're only sitting there over in the corner. Maybe Dad can give it a shot. You know what he says to me? No, that's mine. Wait your turn. Needless to say, I did a 180 on the 360. 
And now that sucker sits comfortably in my own personal home theater. And I'm the only one with the key. You know why? Because everything in that baby is mine. So you can kind of see what this morning is going to uh, be, be like. When uh, in the 1990s, early 1990s, uh, if you were to take a chart of the housing market and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, like just take the housing market's history and, it, you know, it, it came up, up, up. And then, and then in the early 90s, there was this thing that happened. And if you were to put the worst possible day to buy a house and put a thumbtack on that day so that you could look back and go, yes, that is the worst possible day to buy a house. And then you were to take my financial decision-making and put it up against that. That was the day I bought my house. The worst day of real estate history until now. Thank you very much. But I mean, we bought that house on the worst day. And we stretched, you know, I went to business school and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I am a financial guru, right? I mean, I knew exactly what I was doing. We took Lisa's, uh, part of her, no, her retirement, um, because we were young, you know, so there wasn't much in there and we paid the 10% penalty and we stretched to buy our first home because that's what they told us to do in business school. You stretch to buy your first home because they ain't making any more. That's what my professor would always say. They ain't making any more. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Lost $70,000 in a month. Appreciate it. So we, we did everything. We got into this house and every six months, our house lost tens of thousands of dollars, which is fine. It's a long-term investment. You know, you don't plan it for the next three months, but there was another issue, another problem, something else that was going along. And it was this thing called a loan and an adjustable rate mortgage. No, these are fantastic. <laughs> Let me tell you about them. They get a bad rap, but really, hallelujah. See, they start out with this really low interest rate so that you can get into the house. Praise God. And then as the house depreciates in value rapidly, your monthly payment increases rapidly. And so it's kind of like do the opposite, you know, that kind of investment strategy. We were doing the opposite. We bought a house that went down in value and then we paid more for it every month. It was fantastic. Anyway, so every six months, I'd get a letter in the mail from the lender who was just pleased as punch that uh, we had uh, gone with them. And it was this nice thing. Congratulations. Here's your new house payment. And uh, it would be several hundred dollars more. And, 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 and so each month, each six months, they'd adjust this thing. Uh, thus the adjustable rate mortgage. About, I'd say three years into it, it started becoming increasingly obvious that we weren't going to be able to afford this house. There's no way we could refinance. We were completely upside. I mean, we were so upside down, we were almost right back up again. I mean, we were, we were, we were upside down, okay? And so, uh, you know, I was doing the finances uh, at the time. Um, you could tell because the veins in my neck were bulging. And um, I just said to Lisa, hey, honey, um, wouldn't it be adventurous to go live in an apartment and 
it would just be like a fun adventure and it would be cheaper. How about we just do that? And that was her first indication that things were terribly wrong. And at, in the meantime, I had let my tithe slip. I don't know if you've ever done this for those of you who tithe. Uh, and again, like I said, we're going to be talking about money, so it's only going to get more uncomfortable. But uh, if you let it go a few months, it becomes sizable. Uh, and so basically it came down to paying the tithe and losing the house or not paying tithe and keeping the house. If we didn't tithe, we, we could keep the house. So I remember going to Lisa and saying, look, this is the deal. Uh, you married a financial genius and we're going to end up losing our house. And uh, Lisa said, I don't even care doesn't even matter. It's not about the house. It's about our relationship, which then I broke down in tears and started sobbing. But I remember going to church that Sunday, writing my tithe check and placing it in the offering. And for me, this is just my own thing. For me personally, that may have been the greatest act of worship I could have done for the next 20 years. Because what I was essentially saying was, you can have my house. Now, the reason I tell this story is not because I want to draw all, all sorts of attention to myself and we ended up keeping that, got, we got to keep the house and it ain't a sermon about that either. If you, you know, you tithe and all of a sudden, you know, the, the guy with the big check comes in and says, you win, you know, and wow, thanks Lord. That's not what it's all about. What I want to talk to you this morning about is this, this fact. And, and it's, it's, it's for your bulletin, this is the thing you're going to write in. This fact I want us to try to discuss this morning, wrap our head around, that it's all his. It's all his. Every dime you've ever owned, every house you've ever owned, every car you've ever loaned money for, whatever it is, it's all, everything you have, the shirt on your back, the shoes you're wearing, these chairs, this candle, the whole thing, it's all his. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs, I want to read a verse right here, God, God's speaking and he's just like, ew, what in the world? He goes, if, I'm, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Okay, this is God speaking. You're like, dude, God's got an attitude, right? It's like, yeah, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Why? For the world is mine and all that's in it, just in case you're like, well, you can have the just the dirt. Go ahead, it's yours. No, and all that's in it. It's all his. Now, when you get into a thing on tithing or giving or all that, and people start squirming around, I'm just going to tell you exactly how I feel and exactly what the scripture says. And there you go, Uh, right? I'm just going to say it how it is, okay? But the idea, we think of the tithe as this 10% we're giving back to God, you know, and and it's true. We're giving it back to, to him what's his. But here's the thing we have to get. We get a paycheck or money or a gift or whatever. It's from God. We take the 10% and we don't give it back to him. What we're doing is we're setting it apart. Leviticus says that 10% is to be holy. It's to be holy. It's to be set apart. So here's the great news. For some reason, I don't know why, God allows us to keep 90% of it. I don't know why. I don't know why he didn't make it 70%. I don't know what the deal was. He doesn't even adjust for inflation. 90% we get to keep. 
That's a pretty good deal. Now, here's the problem, though. We're held accountable for the 90% of what we do with it. And this is the thing that's been kicking my butt all week long. Because I started, uh, this was supposed to be a sermon for you. I wasn't supposed to be involved in this at all. No, I'm kidding, right? I was going to the scriptures and man, God has been showing me this idea. What am I doing with my 90%? Forget the 10%. That's set apart. That's holy. That's, that was already, that's already been done. It's not even, a, it's not even a law. You know, you'd like, well, that's, that was with the law. The 10% came long before the law. Abraham established it long before the law even came into place and Jesus confirmed it when he was there. The 10%, holy to God, that's his, okay? What am I doing with the 90% that he's entrusted me with? What I wanna do this morning, I wanna, uh, we're gonna go through two kind of big sections of scripture. I put Proverbs 3, 9 up there just so we could talk about it. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We always tend to look at that and we think if we give to God, he's gonna give back to us and we'll have more money and all this. That is not biblical. God will bless us, there's no doubt. It might be financial. But what we're looking for is this loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and our money. What am I doing with my 90%? You know, the, we spend $22 billion a year in this country on storage. Storing the stuff we're not using. $22 billion. We are a rich society. And we say, well, if you knew my bank account, you wouldn't say that. We are a rich society. I want to go to this section of scripture that's really, uh, it's kind of famous. And it's in Matthew chapter six. And we love to quote it because it makes us feel good. And here's what it says. It says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? I mean, basically Jesus is saying, I mean, he picks food and clothing. Like he's not even talking about cable. He's just, he's going back down to the, don't worry about what you're gonna eat and what you're gonna wear. The very, very basics I started asking myself this question this week. Am I even there? Like, I mean, I, I, I mean, do I even thank God for my clothing? And, and again, this isn't a big guilt trip. This is just what I was kind of going through this week. And so it says, do not worry about your life or what you eat. And we go, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. But there's a little section of scripture that we always forget that came before this section of scripture that I left out on purpose because this is the way we typically quote it. But here's here's the actual verse. Therefore, I tell you, as a matter of fact, the New American Standard says, um, uh, uh, because of this, or, or, or this is the reason, okay? So therefore, I tell you, do not be worried about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body. Therefore, I tell you, well, why? why, why? I mean, he, he made a point, and now this is the kind of the, 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 the reasoning behind the point. What was the point Jesus made prior to this? Why is it that we're not to worry about our life? Is it because it's just bad to worry? Is it because you know, uh, it'll give us ulcers. Like, what is the reason? It's found the verse before. It's an amazing section of scripture if we were to take it um, the way it's written. Matthew 6, 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This is very uh, strong language. You got love and hate. I mean, they're these opposites. It's not even, I mean, Jesus could have kind of softened the blow a little bit, but he didn't. He said, you'll either hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You mean to tell me I can serve money? Yeah, I can. And when I lose sight of it, I begin to worry. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, you know, Lisa and I used to have the debt on our credit card. And um, I don't know... For some reason, like it was $5,000. I remember how much it was. And um, uh, when I'd get the bill, the way I'd deal with it is to go out to eat, to put more money on the credit card. I don't know if you've ever done this, but this is how I, I, I it made me so depressed that I'd go put more on it. Because if it's 5000 what's 5050 really? I mean, in the term of, the, I'm only paying the minimum anyway. You know, it's just a few more pennies a month. It's a great system. God bless America, right? And so I, you know, I, and so, you, I, you know, we got in this thing and I had to get someone, an accountability partner to tell me this is wrong. You are making money your God. Because I was worrying about this and I was worrying about that. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a reason you're not to worry. It's because when you serve God, when you really think, and here, here's, how we serve God, here's how we serve the God of money. Um, when I get my bank statement and I look at the bottom number, if it's big, I'm happy. If the number's big, I'm at peace. I looked at, oh, okay, good. We've got this much money in the bank. Ah, that is serving the God of money. When it's small, I get all freaked out. That's serving the God of money. See, what it's saying is money, God, bless me, take care of me. As you increase, I increase. You know, as you decrease, I get so scared. That's serving the God of money. And now, let me ask you a question. What would your life be like with the 90% that you have, if you didn't even care about it. You just say, God, this is your money. I'm gonna make these decisions. This is what Paul was trying to tell Timothy. And this is the next set section of scripture we're gonna go through. See, Timothy uh, was kind of a protege of, is that what you call it? Of an understudy, a protege or a, okay. That doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, apprentice, thank you. Yeah, like the, magician's nephew or whatever yeah he's uh, you got paul and then paul's raising timothy up and he's saying look you're called to ministry and and here's some i'm going to give you some practical advice to get through this and he gave timothy tons of practical advice that's why it's such a great book to read uh in the scriptures because we can glean so much from it and so uh basically Here's what he says to Timothy. Now watch the vision Paul is trying to give Timothy with his finances. And imagine if you were there, imagine if I was there. It says this, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Could you imagine what kind of pastor I would be if I were just content with food and clothing and not really excited about football season starting up next week, which I am, right? I know, isn't that fun? 
I mean, imagine if you, if, if, you, if you opened up a catalog, pick your favorite catalog, or you're watching, and you were just like, whatever, I got food and clothing. I don't need that. I don't need, th- I'm, I'm fine. Now, watch, this is incredible. It says, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich, now what, what he's doing is he's now he's gearing up. Now, here's what you have to watch out for, Timothy. Now, watch. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. Have you found that in your own life? I know I have. Sometimes if I'm thinking about money or, uh, you, you know, back before when there was, you know, like Christmas bonuses and all this kind of stuff, I would begin to gear up for the money and I would begin to kind of think of ways I could reward myself, think of this. I would fall into temptation. Paul, would, Paul is saying this to Timmy, look, if you want to get rich, if you think money is going to solve all your issues, you will fall into temptation. It just happens. I don't know if it's happened for you. It's happened for me. Be careful. Just be content with food and clothing. If you get your 90%, take care of the things you need to take care of, live within it, and be happy there. Why? Because more stuff doesn't make a better life. More God makes a better life. See, as we begin to focus in on finances, and that's going to be my savior and all this kind of stuff, we push God out. You cannot serve two masters. I can't serve two masters. Now watch. It goes on. He goes, you're going to fall into temptation. Next one. And a trap. <laughs> okay? So you fall into temptation and a trap. Now you see what Paul's doing here. He's starting to list these things. He's saying, this is important. How you look at money is vitally important. You could fall into temptation or you can fall into a trap. How do we fall into a trap? Well, I've done it myself. I convinced myself I had to have that thing. And so I had to have it. I had to have it. I had to have it. I bought it. And in six months, it's broken. And now I'm paying for it over months. That's a trap. As a matter of fact, now we talk about debt more than we ever had in the past. And we... What do we do? We pass legislation against the credit card companies. Why? Because they trapped us into this. No, they didn't. The love of money trapped us. The wanting things trapped us. It's a trap. So, a temptation and a trap. But then Paul finally gives us a light at the end of the tunnel. Go ahead. And into many foolish and harmful desires. It's not getting any better. Temptation, a trap, foolish and harmful desires, right? You see someone come into a lot of money, what happens? They become foolish and harmful to themselves. Paul is saying, be very careful what you do with the 90% God has entrusted you with. You're going to fall into temptation. It's a trap. Many foolish and harmful desires. Next one. That plunge men into ruin. Okay, do you see where this is going? Okay, do you see where I'm going with this? Money, if not held in check, if not used for the kingdom, if we don't live within the means God has placed in, because remember, it's all his and all he's done is entrusted you with it. If we don't live within those means, we will fall into temptation. We will fall into a trap. We will fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge us into ruin and we've seen it over and over and over again. I've been there. I've been at the edge of financial ruin because of money and because of the way I mishandled it. Let's keep going. And destruction. I don't know. Just, I mean, I, can you picture Paul writing to Timothy? He's just like, oh, if I can get this across to him, you know, he's going to pastor this church. Listen, do not, you know, 
don't, people who want to be rich, they fall into temptation, a trap, uh, many uh, uh, foolish and harmful desires, right? They plunge into ruin, then destruction. <laughs> like, oh, I just want to get this across to him. Why does he want to get this across to him? Because he knew what Jesus knew. You can't serve them both. You cannot serve God and money. And while this may be uncomfortable, and it's like, John, you know, I I knew this was just going to be a play for money for the church. Listen, guys, honestly, honestly, if you can't, if you're not behind what's happening here, like you, you feel like I just can't give money to this, please, Don't sacrifice that act of worship. Find another church where you're just totally stoked about it. It's too valuable. Your tithe and your offerings to God are too valuable to not do it. So if you go, man, I don't like the way he dresses or his car is too nice or whatever. I don't like it. Find a church where the pastor, whatever it was that you have a problem with, doesn't do that and give for the kingdom. Otherwise you'll fall into a trap. You'll fall into the money trap of it's mine, it's mine. If I only had this much more, if I only had this much more, all I need is this, instead of looking at the 90% and going, God, this is what you've entrusted me with. Now watch, he goes on with Timothy. Verse 10, for the love of money is, this verse is misquoted often. A lot of times we hear uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's not correct. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for, for money have wandered away from the faith. Listen to what Paul is saying to Timothy here. He's going, it's a trap. It's a temptation. It's evil and harmful desires, right? It, it'll plunge you into ruin and destruction. Some people have I've even wandered from the faith because of money. Of all the reasons to wander from the faith, it's money. You see his heart here? They've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's giving a great warning. And let me tell you, I think it's a warning to me, it's a warning to you. We have got to get a handle on the 90% he's entrusted to us. And that means asking questions to God. Should I buy this? Should I buy Remember, it's all his. It's all his. Now, there's a lot of freedom within that 90%. But sometimes we get outside of that 90% to buy a new something or to buy a bigger this or to buy a shinier this. And all of a sudden, we're out of the 90%. Uh, and, and now we're trying to encroach on God's 10% that we've already set aside that that's a holy offering to God. Let me tell you, parents, if you, if you can instill anything into your kids, this idea of paying, of, of, of paying a tithe, of, of, of any dime, anytime you get a dollar, you pay 10 cents to God, is so valuable. Because if they don't do it as a kid, imagine all of a sudden you come to Christ and you're making 40 grand. And now you got to start giving $4,000 to God. It's hard, isn't it? But when you start with a paper route and you're only making $130 a month and then you 13 is no big deal. This principle just follows them into life. And you know what it brings them? Financial freedom. Not in the way that we think. Not, they don't become great investors. They, don't be, they just go, you know what? I'm not going to worry about my finances. People who tithe are released from this bondage. 
of having to worry about money. Now, again, you can send me nasty emails. You can say it's all about money, all this kind of stuff. Tithe somewhere. Now, let me just tell you what I believe, and then we're going to go with the last part of what Timothy, what Paul says to Timothy. I personally believe that a tithe should be given to the local church. Now, again, you're like, well, of course, you're a pastor, but th- I've believed this. I've only been a pastor four or five years. Uh, I've been a non-pastor much, much longer than that, and I've practiced this principle. But the reason I believe it's to go to the local church is for two reasons. One, there's a sense of accountability there. Two, you're not in control of it. See, when you tithe and you say, I'm going to do $100 here, 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 that's not holy and set apart. That's you in control of your money. You're just controlling the tithe part. The nice thing about a, a, a church that you give it to is that you entrust it to the leadership and you've given it to God and it's done. And again, if you don't like the leadership, leave. You've got to go to a church that you trust the leadership. And so that's just my own personal thing. It's between you and the Lord, okay? But that the tithe goes uh, to God's storehouse, to the to the uh, local church because uh, that's kind of your extension to the community around us. Now watch what he says to Timothy. It's so important here not to miss this. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee, turn and run. When you start to get in a situation where you want more and you think that, turn and run from that. Paul's saying to Timothy, it is a trap it's going to get you. It might start out small with a hobby or whatever, but over time, we're going to start to get this idea that if we had more money, our lives would be better. And that is nowhere in Scripture. Now, there's another side to this. If we have more God in our life, our lives, all Scripture speaks, our lives are better. Why? How do we know that? Because the fruit of knowing God, the fruit of following him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is love. You can't buy that. Joy. I mean, yeah, the Lexus might give you a week's worth or whatever. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law that can touch that. That is life. I mean, is that not the life I want to have? And it is a lie to think that a raise is going to provide any of those things for me. So what do we do? We flee from this and we pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You know where I've seen this modeled? In my sister's life. My sister, uh, uh, she'd kill me for telling the story, so we'll cut it out of the podcast or whatever. She doesn't listen to my podcast. She grew up with me. She's like, I ain't listening to that dude. I've seen him in his underwear. You know, it's just not, it's not not there. So, uh, but my sister, they went through some very, very financially difficult times. And let me tell you, what I mean financially difficult, I can't even begin to describe how little money they had. And they wouldn't accept any help. And the reason my sister wouldn't accept any help is because she said, I want to completely break any sense that money in any way will bring me happiness. And so they ate on rice and beans, literally, for months. And God, things would come at just the right time. And and all of a sudden, $5 to her became huge. 
She just kept living it out, living it out, living it out. If you talk to her today, she will tell you that time in her life was the best time she'd ever had because it was broken. She proved the scriptures correct. You can't serve both of them. And when one's dead, doesn't matter. Doesn't affect her one way or the other. This is the kind of blessing God wants to give us. He wants to free us. He wants us financially free, not with a trillion dollars, but to just where we're going, hey, whatever. Paul says, I've, I've learned to be content with little or lo- less. It doesn't matter to me. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's, that's the key with when it comes to money. And the reason churches talk about money a lot is because there's 800 flipping verses in here on money. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. And heaven and hell are kind of important topics. You know what I mean? And so don't come down on a pastor for talking about it. It's just it's what's in the scripture. And it's a warning to us, especially to the American church. Don't get wrapped up in things. It's a trap. And when you do, God comes back and goes, let me know when you're done. Because you can't serve both of us. 